Please turn with me to Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5. Galatians 4, 4 through 5. This is the word of the Lord. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. This is the word of the Lord. Grace to you and peace, faith family. It is with great joy that I come to you this morning with greetings of grace and peace and the hope that each of us will truly enjoy a Merry Christmas. And that is the purpose of this entire series. It is the purpose of this message. We have been involved in a series this Advent season helping us to answer the question as to why Jesus came. And for the last three weeks, we saw that Jesus came to be our ransom, or our payment, which, by the way, will tie very closely to what we'll be seeing this morning. And then we saw that Jesus came to call us to repentance, and that even the first words of His ministry was the call to repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And last week, we saw that uh, through uh, the, the life that He gave us, how Jesus came to restore us to fulfill His purposes for us. And we saw that through the life of Peter. And now this morning we turn our gaze into and not only the final message of this series, but the final message of this year as we engage the last reason that we have in this series on why Jesus came and that He came to redeem us. So let us turn our attentions to Galatians 4 for today We have so much in the backdrop to all of this, and now we are able to get a sense of it all, if you will, or at least a part of it as we have built up for this very moment. So we are in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5, and the first thing I want us to do as we look at the reason Jesus came was to redeem us, is to answer the question, what is redemption? When we speak about being redeemed, what do we mean about this idea of redemption. Now, for those of you who have been around church any length of time, you will know that redemption is closely associated to many other words that we use. For instance, atonement, substitution, deliverance, and even the one we studied a few weeks ago, the idea of ransom. Biblically, for us, redemption is a covenantal, legal term that refers to the work of God in Christ on our behalf. That's a loaded definition, right? And I think it's very important for you to understand. It's a covenantal term. It's a legal term. So it's a covenantal legal term that refers to the work of God. God does the work in Christ, the Messiah, on our behalf, on the behalf of those who would come to believe in Him and to trust in Him. It's, ladies and gentlemen, it's inside of this work of redemption that we look at this and we realize that He has ransomed us at the price of His own life. He has purchased us at the price of His own life, which we studied already. But in that payment, in that purchase, He not only purchased us, but He also delivered us from the penalty and from the power of sin. So ransom is a subset, if you will, of redemption. And all of these are something that Christ offered. Redemption itself refers 
to all that Christ has done for us in our salvation. So that is what redemption is. When we speak of redemption this morning, I wanted to get our terms straight so that you understand it is a covenantal legal agreement, legal term that refers to the work of God in Christ on our behalf for um, our salvation. And secondly, what we're going to look at here is we see here in Galatians that Paul is going to refer to the fullness of time had come. Galatians 4.4, 4, he says, but when the fullness of the time came. In other words, redemption is the fulfillment of a promise that was predestined at a future time which came when God would send forth His Son. So this is a lot of terminology as well. So I want us to understand that what we're speaking of is that in redemption is the fulfillment of a promise. This would obviously beg the question, what is the promise of redemption? So we've already seen what redemption is, and now we're asking what is the promise of that redemption. And what we discover is that this promise of redemption is rooted in the types of the Old Testament that was displayed for us due to the covenant of redemption that God made by Himself. And what we begin to see is, when we begin to read in the Old Testament, and we begin to see this promise being kind of put forth to us, and then when Christmas comes, the incarnation of Christ, everything begins to kind of come together. You see, the distance between God and humanity was so great that although we owed Him our obedience we could never attain the award and the reward of eternal life. It required, on our behalf, the necessity of God's condescension. In other words, our redemption, our salvation, required God to condescend Himself. A condescension that was expressed in none other than a covenant. A covenantal promise. Because church, although we were under the curse of sin, God came and He made a covenant of grace that would offer to us as sinners salvation. A covenant that is found in a transaction between the eternal realities of the Father and the Son about the redemption of those who would believe in Christ by faith. So you got to get this, in this agreement, in this, in this legal agreement, it is the Father and the Son making an agreement in eternity past for the purpose of salvation. You see, what's going to happen this morning, if you grab even a, a modicum of what we are talking about, Christmas truly becomes Mary. Paul would write this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Paul would write, I'm going to begin in verse 8 for context, and then I'll finish in verse 9. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, or of me, His prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. So Paul is saying, don't be ashamed of Him, don't be ashamed of Christ, join in the suffering. And then listen to what he says in verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works... So He didn't save us based upon what we've done or what we were going to do, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus, listen, listen, 
from all eternity. An eternal covenant made in the Godhead before time ever began. This covenant was first revealed to us in none other than the book of Genesis. We turn to Genesis chapter 3. This is the chapter of the fall when we begin to see this idea of man falling, turning away from God. We were all in Adam, and in Adam we have all sinned. And in chapter 3, what we find is the very first time that this, this, uh, the covenant is revealed to us. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He writes, But I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he, by the way, that's a singular masculine noun, he, shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. The very first mention of this to us is, in, is to Adam and uh, in the promise of the seed of the woman who was going to come. But in, throughout the Old Testament, this idea of redemption, the fact that God was going to come and redeem His people through this Redeemer is seen all throughout the Old Testament. In the book of in the Exodus, in the Exodus of God's people, Exodus chapter 6, we see Israel going to be redeemed from Egypt by God, who He calls their Redeemer. Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. He says, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. Here it is. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you will know that I am your God. Uh, I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. So it is seen in, the, in God, re, again, redeeming a people for His own glory. And by the way, this redemption would be eternally or forever memorialized by the Jews through a meal that we would call the Passover. Exodus chapter 12. Listen to verse 23. Exodus chapter 12, verse 23. For the Lord will pass through, this, through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your house to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall observe this rite. And when your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? You shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the, of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and worshipped. And then the sons of Israel went and did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. So we see it in the book of Genesis. We've seen it in Exodus. And furthermore, under the Mosaic law, it is due to the redemption of His people what we will see as this begins to be played out because God has now redeemed His people. The firstborn and the animals were to be devoted to the Lord. In addition, land and property could also be what? Redeemed. This idea of redemption becomes a, becomes a hallmark, becomes a type all throughout the Old Testament. 
As a matter of fact, when you study one of the popular stories in the Old Testament, named Ruth, after the, uh, one of the main characters in the book, the entire story of Ruth is one of redemption. And we go in and we see Boaz, one of the characters, and I would tell you that he is a true character that serves as a type of redeemer. Not only that, that one of his titles that he, Boaz is actually given in the book of Ruth is kinsman redeemer. And then we continue and we turn to the Psalms. And when you turn to the Psalms, you read David. And he says in Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19. Y'all are going, is he going to do this all morning? Probably. Psalm chapter 19 verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So we saw it all throughout the Old Testament. Now we see the psalmist talking about it. And then I want to turn to Isaiah. Isaiah, the prophet. And again, I could go many places here, but I'm just going to go to one of them. Isaiah chapter 41. Let's look at verse 14. Isaiah speaking, he says, Do not fear, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, declares the Lord. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Your Redeemer. Isaiah will continue to speak of God as their Redeemer. And I told you, I could go on and on and on. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah alone, him referring to God as their Redeemer is in chapters 33, 43, 47, 48, 49, 50, 54, 59, 60, and 63. You want to spend a little bit of time. Church, I want you to know this is what the, this is what the Baptist confession has, means when it says that the covenant is revealed in the gospel first to Adam by the seed of the woman and quote-unquote afterwards by further steps. In other words, that the redemption of His people was promised since the beginning due to the eternal covenant which God had made and it was by further steps that He was going to show this redemption all throughout the Old Testament. And it was the promise of God to redeem His people by a Redeemer. And now when we turn to the New Testament, we read that this covenant of God is revealed in the Gospel first to Adam by the seed of a woman, and afterwards by further steps. But then the confession ends by saying this, quote, until the full discovery thereof was completed in the New Testament. The full discovery. So there were types and, I, and, and pictures all throughout the Old Testament showing us this, but then in the New Testament, we fully discover the completion of this redemption. Paul writes here in Galatians, he says, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that, purpose word, here it is, He might redeem those who were under the law. It is by this covenant of redemption that all of those in Adam that ever received salvation have been redeemed. How do you know that? Turn with me to Hebrews. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 11. It's verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11. Listen to what it says in verse 6. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. It is by this covenant of redemption that everyone in all of those who are in Adam have ever received salvation have been redeemed. Because what we discover here in 11.6, it is by faith, it is by faith that we come to believe in, I'm, I'm sorry, by faith we come to be rewarder of those who seek him. And then we discover in verses 7 through 11, the writer is going to speak of who? All of those people in the Old Testament. Noah, Abraham, Sarah. And then notice what he writes. So I got 11.6, and then 11.7 through 11, uh, I'm sorry, verses 11.7 through 11 are going to be talking about all these Old Testament folk. And then notice what he says in verse 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. It is this idea that all of those who were in the Old Testament were saved under this salvation plan. This is the entire premise, by the way, of Romans chapter 4. I'm not going to read the entire Romans chapter 4, but I want to encourage you to do that. Almost did it. I won't. It's Christmas. Merry Christmas. Let's turn to Acts, however. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. We're going to see Peter speak about this very thing. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, we'll start in verse 11. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the new covenant is the fulfillment of the promise of the redemption by God from God. Let me say it again. The new covenant in the New Testament, that is what testament is, covenant. In the new covenant, it is the fulfillment of the promise of redemption by God from God. So, we have this idea, okay, pastor, I get it. We have redemption, we know what that is. We have the promise of redemption. We see it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So, this brings us to the question, who are the parties of the covenant of redemption? Who are the parties of the covenant of redemption? So let me give you, there are three parties in the covenant of redemption. Are you ready? It is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Again, our brother Isaiah is going to be extreme help to us. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42. And if you don't want to turn there, that's okay. Um, just write these in your notes. Isaiah chapter 42. We're going to begin to look at verses 1 through 7. And I want you to notice the three working simultaneously together. Isaiah 42, 1 through 7. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law." Thus says, God, thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched, out them, uh, stretched them out, 
who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it, and, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things before they spring forth. I proclaim them to you. Did you notice here? We have God the Father in Jehovah. We have God the Son in the servant of Jehovah. And we have the Spirit of God in the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jehovah. Jehovah gives the servant This is what we see happening here in Isaiah. Jehovah God, the God of the heavens, is going to give the servant as a covenant for his people. And then we're going to read in Isaiah chapter 50, he's going to come along and he's going to say this. Isaiah 50, 4 through 9. The Lord God has given me the tongue of of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pluck out my beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. For the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near. He who who will contend with me. Let us stand up to each other. Who has case against me? Let him draw near to me. Behold, the Lord helps me. He is uh, who is he who condemns me? Behold, they will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them. Do you see what's happening here? God, the servant, answers the call to go and do what God, Jehovah God, has told them to do. So ladies and gentlemen, you have Jehovah equipping his servant for his task and the service, the servant, excuse me, setting himself up to fulfill it completely. You have God the Father calling God the Son and God the Son willingly doing what God the Father had called him to do. And you may be asking, so how do we know this servant is Jesus? Thank you for asking. That's a great question. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, listen to verses 17 through 21. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, Jesus, and he opened the book and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Ha <laughs> ha! God the Father sending God the Son, God the Son in Christ coming to do all that He had called Him to do in the promises. And I know what some of you are doing. Some of you may be sitting here going, oh, where's the Spirit at? Church, I want want you to be reminded that it was Jehovah who promised to supply His Spirit to the servant for His mission. 
So when you see God doing what He has called God to, Jesus to do, He is doing it through the empowerment of the Spirit, which God the Father had promised Him because God the Son was going to be indwelt by the Spirit. Do you hear me? No, no, no. No wonder it was on that great morning when we come and we see the, uh, the, the baptism of Jesus that the Father says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased, and the Spirit descends on Him like a dove. It's not a dove, by the way, but it's like a dove. Can you imagine being there when the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all together in the... Oh, Jesus, help me. Ladies and gentlemen, what I'm trying to get you to understand, this is a Trinitarian covenant. This who's the party of the covenant? It is Trinitarian. The Father commits Himself to the Son for the purpose of accomplishing the redemptive mission that He gave the Son to fulfill. The Son is going to set forth to fulfill the commands to be obtained in the covenant, and the Spirit was the means through which the Father was going to sustain and uphold the Son on His mission. Jesus, God's Son, Willingly taking the mission given to Him by the Father, empowered by the Spirit. No wonder we turn to the book of Philippians and what do we read when we read Paul? He says this in Philippians chapter 2. Had this attitude in yourself which was also in Christ Jesus, who although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself taking the form of a bondservant, Merry Christmas, and being made in the likeness of men, Merry Christmas, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Happy Easter. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, it's a good day, isn't it? It's a Merry Christmas. You are able, I am firmly convinced, you aren't able to have a Merry Christmas if you don't understand what Christmas is all about. There, it is true this morning that some of you could truly have your first Merry Christmas. I want you to know this, church. When it comes to Jesus, no one took His life from Him. He willingly laid it down, accepting the mission that was given to Him by the Father. In this Jesus, in this Christ, by the way, Christ means Messiah, the promised Redeemer of the Old Testament. In the Christ, He fulfills the commitments of the covenant of redemption and He received the reward of the covenant. So you would be, should be asking, what is the reward of the covenant? Thank you for asking. That's a great question as well. Here is the reward of the covenant which the Son was promised by the Father through the Spirit. Are you ready? Resurrection and glory. The promise of Jesus to come and to fulfill the covenant of redemption on our behalf, the, promised, the promise to Him was resurrection and glory. Oh, where'd you get this? Thanks for asking. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Listen to verses 10 through 12. We just preached this this year, so it should be pretty familiar with you guys. But the Lord was pleased to crush him. This is, the, this is Jesus, putting him to grief. He would, if he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great 
and he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured, him, poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressors. Acts chapter 2. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And the reason I'm doing this is very crucial. I wanted to show you in the New Test- Old Testament where it was promised. I want to show you in the New Testament where it was fulfilled. Acts chapter 2, verse 32. This Jesus, God raised up again to which we were all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the promise, I'm seeing from the Father, what? The promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured forth this which you both see and hear. And then, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. We'll start with verse 11. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But He, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, set down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until His enemies made a footstool for His feet. You see, church, after offering Himself, Christ sat down at the right hand of God. Ladies and gentlemen, that is exaltation and that is glory. Jesus kept the law of nature. We would call it the moral law. He kept it fully. That's why you hear Jeremy, you hear myself, you hear the elders here often say this, and I will probably say it again. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He kept the law. He kept the moral law. He kept the law of Moses. He fulfilled all righteousness of all the ceremonial and judicial laws. And He kept the law of His own covenant, giving Himself as a ransom so that, back to Galatians, He might redeem those who were under the law. You see, in the New Covenant, do you understand what you're seeing happening on Christmas? Do you see what's being inaugurated for you on this day? On this, the morning that we celebrate this very reality, do you understand what's happening? What the Father planned, the Son accomplished, and the Spirit applied. The result of the Father's commitments, the Son's commitments, and the Spirit's participation is none other than the redemption of those who would be found in the Messiah. A salvation that was mediated to us through the new covenant of grace. So what does it mean for us? What does it mean for you sitting in these blue chairs on this Christmas morn? What is the reason I want you to listen to the confession of, again, the Baptist Confession of Faith. This is what it says, quote, It pleased God in His eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, His only begotten Son, according to the covenant made between them both, to be the mediator between God and man, the prophet, priest, and king, head and savior of His church, the heir of all things, and judge of the world, unto whom He did from all eternity 
give a people to be his seed and to be by him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. Church, it means that Christ is our mediator. And it means that what Paul wrote for us in this passage, that we might receive the adoption as sons. We who are redeemed and therefore justified are made partakers of this grace of adoption. And it's in this adoption that we enjoy the freedom and the privileges of children of God. Church, you have His name on you. You have His name on you. Do you get that? I often tell my children, don't forget about your last name. Because you have my name on you. You have the name of Christ on us. We have received the spirit of adoption. We now have access to the throne of grace with a boldness Sealed by the Spirit on the day of redemption. We will inherit the promises as heirs of the eternal salvation that He has redeemed for us. We receive the promises, you and I, we get to receive these things. No wonder that when Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he writes this. He says, in Him we have redemption through His blood. By the way, this is Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In Him we have redemption, through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, would be to the praise of His glory. Costly redemption through the life, blood, and death of Christ but free for it is all according to the riches of His grace. It was free to us, but it was costly to Him. The grace of God, as He bore the price for our salvation, and He gives it to us freely. Merry Christmas. This is why He came. He came to fulfill the promise He made in an eternal covenant to redeem those who are His. And who are those who are His? Those who would believe in Him. And and one of the songs that we sing, we sing it often in the church, we sing, God be the glory. Why? Oh, perfect redemption. The purchase of blood. To every believer, the promise of God. 
One pastor would write it like this, quote, he says, Christ saves us neither by the mere exercise of power, nor by his doctrine, nor by his example, nor by the moral influence which he exerted, nor by any subjective influence on his people, whether natural or mystical, but he saves us by a sat- as a satisfaction to divine justice, as an expiation for sin, as a ransom for, from the curse and authority of the law, thus reconciling us to God by making it consistent with His perfection to exercise mercy towards sinners. Church, this is why He came. To redeem those who are lost. So before us stands a rather awesome question this Christmas. Christmas is for the redemption of His own. I would say that for many of you, this Christmas will not be what it could be because it's so superficial. Now, could your Christmas today be fun? Could it even be enjoyable? Sure. What about exciting? Well, for most. Yet after the gifts from the tree are gone, and the food is eaten, and you sit on the back porch contemplating it all while looking forward to a new year on the horizon, if many of you were to be honest, There is very little there. And I want to give you a reason for this season. I want to give you a reason to celebrate Christmas that you have never had. Are you ready? This day, we set aside to celebrate the morning that the Christ, the promised Messiah, our Savior that God promised, incarnated himself into human flesh so that you could be ransomed and redeemed. So that you could be ransomed, redeemed, restored if you were to repent and believe. What I'm trying to do for you right now is like explaining the beauty of a sunset. You know, I've been out at the beach at times when the sunset is so majestic, so beautiful. I want you to try it next time. Just try it. When you see a beautiful sunset, I want you to try calling your friend and explaining it to him and try to see if he, quote unquote, gets it. Then take a picture on your cell phone and send it to him and still see if he even gets it. That's what I feel like right now. I'm trying to explain the beauty of a sunset because it's one thing, it's one thing, church, to describe beauty. Oh, but it's another thing to experience it. This is like trying to explain to you the love that you have, that the love a parent has for their children. Because it's one thing to describe that kind of love. But it's another thing to experience it. So what does... What does humanity do when they come across something so beautiful, so true, so loving, 
so amazing? What do our hearts do when we approach such a glorious light that we can't even barely look at? We worship. That's what we do. What did we just get done singing? See, for some of you, you were able to sing this because it was a Merry Christmas. Some of you sang it just because there were instruments playing and you knew the tune. And you know, Mom and Dad have sung it for a while. Some of you didn't sing it because you can't. But for those of you who are able to sing this this Christmas morn, did you hear the words? Let me read them. Come thou long expected Jesus. What are we talking about? The promise. Born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation. Hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation. Joy of every longing heart. Now listen, listen to the end, listen. You hear all three gospel tenses. Did you hear it as you sung it? Gospel past. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. Gospel present. By thine own eternal spirit. Rule in all our hearts alone, gospel future, by thy all-sufficient merit. Raise us to thy glorious throne. This is what is offered to us this morning. I am not offering to you a description. I am offering to you an experience. For those of us who are here and who are His, What does all this mean for us? We have it. Now what? First Peter, he says this, he says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you, here it is, were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You were ransomed from futility by the blood of Christ. So you conduct yourselves with fear. While we are here living as His own. And when we conduct ourselves this morning with an awe, this day with an amazement, It's then that we can discover that this Christmas can truly, deeply, and really be a Merry Christmas. And that's why He came. He came to redeem us. In the midst of all the gifts, in the midst of all the food, in the midst of all the things that are going on in your life, 
I'm going to ask for all of you to stand just for a moment. Can you? If you can. If not, stay seated. But if you're able to stand, please stand. And I want us to take a moment this morning. First, we are going to come this morning through the preaching of God's Word, responding. I'm going to ask that if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, that today be your day of salvation. This would truly be a Merry Christmas. For those of you who do, and by the way, if you come to Christ this morning as your Savior and you come to believe in Him, For the first time, I would call you to follow through in baptism, which means to be dunked beneath the water and to be brought back up, to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. If you'd be willing to do that, please come, speak to me, speak to anybody in this room. We'd be more than happy to help you. And for those of you who are His, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. Hey, if you're not a member of our church, you can participate in the Supper uh, still. We just ask that if you... If, you have, uh, if you're in discipline at another church where you're not able to participate in the supper, that you do not do so. And if you're not a believer, that you do not do so. Now listen, if you want to, you're more than welcome to walk up to the table, to witness the elements, to see the elements, to walk by the table. Uh, but we ask that you not to participate for your own safety and for the safety of those around you. But this is what we're going to do, something special on this Christmas morning. We don't want to enter this table in an unworthy manner, do we? So I'm going to ask that in a few moments that all of us who are His children would bow our heads for a moment. And usually in this moment we come and we confess our sins before Him because we don't want to come to this table in an unworthy manner. But I just want us to spend an extended, uh, just a small extended period of time this morning thanking Him for His redemption, for our redemption. Can we do that? So as we come before our great God and King, in our own private prayer before everything gets going in this Christmas morn, can we bow our heads before Him, spending a few moments praising Him, thanking Him, and then confessing our sins. I'm going to give us an extended period. As we are done, I will pray, and then we will participate in the Lord's Supper. So church and those who are the beloved of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, I call you this morning to bow your heads and to go before our great God and King, our Savior, our Lord, our Redeemer. Let us pray.